You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, Episode 12. I'm your host, Chris Webster. Profiles in CRM asks CRM professionals eight simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. Okay, here's the first question on Profiles in CRM. What is your name and who do you work for? My name is Joe Armit and I have worked in commercial archaeology in the UK for about just over four years. Um, well, I'm back studying now. Uh, d- during my time working, I worked for s- some of the largest units based out of London and in the southeast of England, as well as some smaller units around East Anglia and uh, the southern Midlands. Okay. All right. So you already answered the second question, which is how long have you been working in commercial archaeology? So that's about four years, right? Yep. Okay. And just a point of clarification, you're back studying now. So you got your undergrad yeah. and you're in a graduate program now? Yeah, I'm uh, doing a master's in artifact studies at University College London. Nice, nice. Okay. All right. So when you were working in uh, contract archaeology or commercial archaeology, um, what is the position you usually held and what is the highest position you you ever held? Um, Over here, we call it field technician, crew chief, project manager, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, In the UK, it can be a bit... um, The units tend to call, call positions different positions different things which mm-hmm. can confuse matters but i've mostly been what the US, in the us would be a field technician um both times i've had the opportunity to progress f- for various reasons i've left the units in the first case it was because uh i'd got while well, i loved the unit i couldn't stand where they were based any longer so i moved <laughs> to the south coast um and in that case i left just as they were going to try and make me permanent and therefore give me the potential to progress and I left to do my masters okay so um but yeah I have done supervised on academic digs and I have um anyone that's spent about two to th- three years in or on the commercial archaeology circuit will often be given work to do on site that is essentially supervisor level like machine watching or supervising other staff on small areas or trenches so I've done that okay so you mentioned working in the UK. Um, where uh, have you worked outside the UK, and and if not, where whereabouts in the UK have you worked uh, regionally? I have even in academia, academia, I haven't um, managed to work outside the UK. I had a chance to work in Georgia that unfortunately went uh, fell through, and mm-hmm. uh, which I was disappointed about. In the UK, I haven't even dug outside of England. Um, although I have worked in the Cornish Peninsula, which is very different from the rest of England. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of my work's been based in either the three counties, which is Bedfordshire, uh, Northamptonshire, and that kind of area, um, London, or along the south coast. Yeah, well, there's there's definitely um, certainly a lot to study and a lot to a lot to work on just in England alone. I mean, the, yeah. the archaeological record is is fantastic there. So very very mixed as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. All right, so here are the. I just realized those first four questions almost sound like a job interview. I wonder if anybody <laughs> would just play this for a potential employer. <laughs> well, I'll um, have to make sure I keep a copy. That's right. That's right. Uh, all right, so here are the fun ones. Um, what is the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? And this can be anything from travel to relationships to whatever you want. 
I think most of the uh, most of it is really just meeting quite a lot of people um, on the circuit mm-hmm. uh, because of the way commercial archaeology works in the UK. A lot of people move around quite a lot, and so you get to uh, interact with quite a range of people from the old lags to new stu- to people fresh out of university to the legends of the circuit who've either been on it forever so everyone knows them or are rather shall we say eccentric and so everyone knows them <laughs> um but yeah and I've, I've got to work in some really beautiful places i've drawn the short straw on some occasions with sites um but i have also had the chance to, when i was working in london to work right next to the tower of london which while slightly terrifying due to the nature of the excavations down shafts into essentially what is the Thames. Um, the, it, A, the view was amazing because the shard was going up at the same time. So as we dug down, the shard would go up, so it would never really move. Wow. And just work, getting to work that close to such an iconic part of London was just amazing. I can imagine. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, so in reference to commercial archaeology in the UK, what is the biggest thing that you would change that would make being uh, an archaeologist in that environment better? This this is a difficult question. There's a lot of debate in tea huts and <laughs> on Facebook about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, pay is the obvious one, um, but I think probably just paying conditions together as a thing because a lot of units... I've been very, very lucky, but I know a lot of people on the circuit that have been treated either badly by units or the certain units have questionable attitudes to their staff which can be frustrating as a digger um and yeah i've just heard some horror stories that i just wish hadn't happened but you know um like i said i've been fairly lucky with Mm -hmm. the units i worked for um but yeah just better paying conditions okay for the field staff really yeah, you know, just uh, for clarification for the audience and for myself, really, because I don't remember, um, but when you say units, are you referring to commercial private firms or agency firms? Um, they're, they're, priv- they're private uh, commercial units, okay. uh, archaeological units. That yeah. Okay, that's just what they call them. Okay. Some, um, in the UK, some of them are either just commercial entities, others have connections with uh, universities or county, uh, council local government um the local government and the institute uh, institution units have uh reduced in number extensively over the last 10 years so they're rarer but tend to give you much better paying conditions all right well you mentioned you're in grad school right now so what is your career goal in commercial archaeology or are you taking it another direction right now um there's i have kind of two goals like um a phd isn't something i want to do um but I, I really want to improve my find and my skills with identifying finds and writing finds reports and similar. And so I'd quite like to be a find specialist at a commercial unit or work with something that we have in the UK, although not Scotland, called the Portable Antiquity Scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've heard of that. Yeah, um, which for your listeners that don't know, is um, a scheme to record just stray finds that come up either through amateur metal detecting or just people walking their dog or digging in their garden and it just creates a database um, of the objects for academics and just interested people to look at and A, to keep a record of them. You know, it's interesting to me when you say uh, you want to be like a find specialist at a at a archaeological unit. Um, that 
that's an interesting thing to say because a lot of people tend to specialize over here as like prehistoric archaeologist or historic archaeologist and then get even finer um, specialization within those two major subfields. So, and I can imagine it's only, uh, I mean, that much more to study in some place like England, where not only do you go through all of the different historic periods, but then into the prehistoric periods. I mean, yeah, um, it's interesting because what the units tend to do is they have the larger the unit, the more staff, obviously the more staff they have, but that often means they've got, they can refine their specialists more. So you'll have people at units that will be specialists in prehistoric pottery and then they'll have the Roman pot specialists and they might also do bits of medieval or post medieval and stuff like that. Okay. Um, uh, and then they'll have other people that will do general finds that will include metal work and bone and all sorts. Um, the people that have it, I think, almost hardest are the finds liaison officers who work for the Portable Antiquity Scheme because they have to do everything. <laughs> right. So people will bring in everything from Paleolithic hand axes to um, Tudor coins. Mm-hmm. So they have to be a bit on the ball or and know the books to go to or have plenty of contacts in the area that might be able to help them, um, which is interesting because I, I suspect a lot of people that do specialise, well, from what I've seen as well, don't tend to like to ask for help <laughs> but in the situation where you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of years worth of material you're gonna have to just suck it up and yeah. if you don't know just <laughs> ask someone that does even if you are being paid to know yeah that's a that's a good bit of advice if anybody's listening <laughs> um do you know uh i'm going off on a tangent on this whole question um uh, do you know what uh you would like to specialize in if given the opportunity um, I already have gone that way. Because, um, unfortunately, over the last five years, or fortunately, depending on your view, there's been quite a lot of work on Anglo-Saxon jewellery, which is something I'm very interested in because of very large hoard finds like the Staffordshire hoard. Yeah. Um, and that was found the year after I graduated from my undergrad. And I kind of feel that if I had done my master's, I could have been one of these people that have been working on it now. But Right. That's neither here nor there. I've talked to a lot of the people that have worked on it, and it's some of the stuff that they've told me is amazing, which is unfortunately not published. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, Anglo-Saxon jewellery, and um, I also have a secondary in, in, uh, interest generally in glass as well. Okay. Awesome. All right. One last question: If you could give an undergrad thinking about a career in uh, commercial archaeology one piece of advice, what would that be? Choose. Well, uh, one piece of advice. <laughs> I think t- choose your university course and the university modules very carefully. Um, it can be a shock getting to work with a commercial unit if you've done a course that hasn't perhaps prepared you as well as some other universities will have done or even just the modules to working in whatever environment, commercial environment you're working in. Because in Britain... That's the British weather. If you're going to go to somewhere like Oman and Qatar, which I know quite a lot of people on the commercial circuit here have gone to do recently, be prepared to work in those conditions and the situations you're working there with ground ground crew and similar and the heat. So yeah, just be prepared for the ways people do work, I suppose. That awesome. was lots of different advice, kind of <laughs> rambled, but whatever. <laughs> All right, I'm here with Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm, and he's going to tell us what The Art of Charm podcasts are all about. Go ahead, Jordan. Hey, sure. So thanks for the opportunity. Basically, what we do at AOC, this is the show that 
we wish we had 10 years ago and I'm 34 now. So there's a lot of folks that are 20s and 30s and we, we look at how we live our lives and the way that we do things. And it's always, it's always that if I had known, if I had only known. So what I'm doing with The Art of Charm and what we're doing as a team here is we bring together the best minds in pretty much every industry to teach people how to crush it in life with their relationships, at work, etc. So it's like having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing all their research and testing and tough lessons, school of hard knocks or otherwise, into a curriculum. And we're very practical, which is great for your sort of scientific audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. This is great for networking, for uh, just learning some some personal skills that you can use on the job and uh, and for finding jobs and, and your relationships with people. Yeah. So we talk thing about things like we talk about things like body language, the way you sit, stand, walk and talk, networking, how to follow up with the network, how to be authentic when you're creating relationships for work, because a lot of people think networking is like, here's my business card. Give me a call when you want to buy a used car. And it's like, no, it's about giving. It's about relationships. But since people don't have a game plan, they kind of ignore it. And especially in your field, they're probably thinking, oh, I really hope my work stands up for itself someday and I get that promotion. And it's like, well, it's all about who you know. And you can either say, oh, it's all about who you know and I hate that. Or you can be like, thank goodness it's all about who you know because I'm never going to be the top of this industry until I, until it's too late for me to care, right? <laughs> right, right. All right, so go check out the Art of Charm podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. And you can find them also on www.theartofcharm.com. Show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the Archaeology Podcast Network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. At that page, you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show. Interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the field. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.